Hello and welcome to Interropod with me, your host, Hugh James. So we're still currently under lockdown in the UK. The amount of times people have said to me, or I've said to other people, that it's a strange and it's a weird time, I kind of lost count. But it is, a lot of us have never lived through a time where so many people are putting themselves in harm's way to help others, and also people are dying on a regular basis. The death toll just keeps going up and up all around the world. So looking for some kind of positivity in all of this chaos, I think helps people. Uh, we look for the silver linings in things, looking at the recovery rates instead of the death rates, but also looking for wins for other things like the environment. Air pollution is down worldwide. Local pollutants that affect our health is way down as well because there's less cars on the road, there's less industry. There was a study at the University of York that found that average pollution levels for six week period before the shutdown and after, and also comparing it to five years earlier, found that both comparisons showed large cuts in pollution. But there are other ways that this is still affecting the environment in a bad way. Food production is definitely one of those. We can't get the people to pick the fruit and the veg on farms that we need, so much so that we're importing Europeans and others to come over here and pick that for us uh, in the UK. That fruit and veg then needs to get from the farms to the to the stores and we can't get the truck drivers for that. And then when they're in the stores, people need to buy them and people are buying less things now. So food production is definitely one of the things or food waste is one of those things that we are seeing more of. Another one is plastics. The face masks, the face shields and gloves, and even the scrubs have plastic in them that medical professionals use around the world that they definitely need for protection. Our NHS in the UK disposes 133,000 tonnes of plastic every single year with only about 5% being recovered. It's not just there, cities are starting to burn recycling because they don't have the human power to actually keep that recycling scheme up and running. And we in Wales have just announced that we plan on banning single-use plastics as of next year. There's been a, an announcement, but there's nothing in writing yet. Consultations still need to happen. But I was really wondering how we do that and what kind of single-use plastics that actually is. They say they want to do it from mid-2021 as part of a, a larger scheme. So single-use plastics that the Welsh Government intend on banning are straws, stirrers, cotton buds, balloon sticks, plates, cutlery, food and drinks containers and the like. And this then will be a template, I suppose, that will, will run for the UK and the rest of the world as well. So today's guest, Nia Jones, studied environmental geography in Cardiff and then went on to do a PhD in physical oceanography and the dispersal of microplastics at the School of Ocean Sciences up at Bangor University. I first met her when she was running a campaign called the No Straw Stand that asked restaurant bars and other places to, to get rid of the plastic straws. The thing I really liked about it is they thought wider than just let's get rid of plastic straws and they realized that some people do need straws they called it drink with dignity. And the sense of yes we need to get rid of plastics because they're harmful to the environment but they are so revolutionary and we couldn't survive in society without them. That's the kind of thing we're looking for in Terrapod. The larger, wider, holistic view, not just that black and white, yes or no, good and bad view. It actually turned into a very interesting conversation about the plastic problem and what we can do to solve it. So you're up at the University of Bangor. What is it that you do up there? So I started my PhD in October of last year and it is looking at the dispersal of microplastic in the oceans um, and more specifically kind of how they're moving kind of nearer our coasts um, and kind of by what mechanisms and, and where they're ending up. What I want to do is take you back to the start a little bit and find out what plastics actually are. So can you explain to us what is a plastic? 
Yeah, so plastic is a kind of a super broad umbrella term. They're, they're mainly carbon-based. They are derived from oils, they derive from fossil fuels. Um, so actually 4% of the f- all fossil fuels used in the world are pumped into the plastic chain, which is actually, a, uh, I was really surprised when I found that out, that's actually really huge. But they, you can have lots of different types of plastics. You can have kind of thermosets, which are kind of moldable, and then you can have lots of other different ones as well. But yeah, so plastics in general are a very lightweight material. They were used originally to be... Um, kind of long-lasting. I think the first official plastic was Bakelite, kind of in the 30s and 40s, but since then we've kind of developed them to be a lot a lot more lightweight, a lot kind of easier to use, and a lot cheaper, most importantly, to produce. And this is kind of where the single-use plastic has kind of come into play, and the kind of a plastic boom since the 50s and 60s, where we've kind of started using it for everything. I think they've been a, a real success story in that the, the best properties are the fact that they don't really degrade and you know when Bakelite came around and, and all the successive plastics from there when used for the the reasons that they were intended to be used for for things that are long lasting car parts and the likes they do that job really really well the fact that they are you know long strings of polymers that don't degrade means that we can use them for absolutely everything but we decided to use them for things that we start to throw away yeah and I think it's really important to kind of emphasize the point of plastic isn't actually the problem it's the way we use it so plastic has revolutionized so many industries and kind of made life so much better for so many people whether that's the medical industry whether that's the transport industry it's kind of really leveled the playing field as well in terms of being able to afford certain things being able to afford good um, traveling cars that kind of thing and so like i said plastic not the problem but like you said, it's kind of the, the way we use it. It's the single-use way of living. And there was a Life magazine cover. I think I've tweeted it ages ago, but I'll try and find it again. But it was, there was a Life magazine cover in kind of 1950 or 1960. And the title was The Dawn of Throwaway Living. And the photo was a family, um, a parents and a little girl, and they were all throwing single-use plastic up into the air. And the caption said, Sunga used plastic, the saviour of the American housewife. Wow. Which obviously has more more problems than one <laughs> than just the plastic in that sentence. I find it so fascinating that people wake up to things at different points in time. Like smoking was a, a thing that everyone just did. And we didn't realise at the time, but now it's super obvious to us. You know, um, retrospect is, is wonderful. We can look back and go, of course, smoking's bad for you leaded petrol of course that's going to be there's going to be complications with that you kind of look back on plastic now and go since we started making plastic we've made around 9 billion metric tons in total which is the size of argentina which blows my mind uh, that we've made that much and like I say most of it is is thrown away so anything that's a throwaway plastic or single-use plastic is designed to be thrown away after one or a few uses and of that we, we generate about 3 million tons uh, per year What's the the types that you see out there most commonly? So coffee cups is a big one. Um, any kind of takeaway food stuff, whether that's kind of plastic straws, plastic cups, 
packets of crisps all the time I see uh, I think I found a skips packet from about 30 or 40 years ago on a beach clean kind of last year but those tend to be the, the biggest things that you see a lot and then obviously you've got kind of other plastic items which are probably less single use but also stay in the environment for just for just as long if not longer so you've got lots and lots of fishing gear all of which is mostly plastic based you've got lots of tires that you see around those kind of give off a lot of microplastic from the rubber so yeah those are probably the the most common ones that I see around. When we get to the reduce, reuse, recycle part of the, the plastic cycle, which we'll come on to later, it's funny that recycle is like the very last one, right? It's reduce and then reuse and then recycle. But we seem, especially with things like PET, that plastic bottles are, are very widely made from. We seem to think that they are, you know, we can buy those, we can use them, and then we put them in a recycling bin and that'll go and be recycled into another plastic bottle. Of course, it mostly doesn't. There are now factories out there that can recycle plastic bottles into plastic bottles again, but for the most part, they end up as other things, carpets and, and whatnot. But they sometimes just do end up in the environment, right? And they take about 500 to 1,000 years to degrade. So of all that plastic we've now put into the environment, that we have good intentions of, of recycling, um, they end up knocking out, the, like say, ghost nets. That's a really high percentage of plastic in the oceans is just ghost nets, uh, those old fishing nets, and even things that used to be in those bottles. It's a, a fact I heard recently, 93% of people have BPA in their urine, which is the, the chemical that's used to, to line plastic bottles with. What's the answer for single-use plastics? What is the, the silver bullet and can I patent it? Um, it's a big question. Um, if I knew that, I probably would have a lot more money. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so what's, this, what's the silver bullet for single-use plastic? I, do, I think that's kind of the key, is that there's not. Um, and that's where some, some of the problem stems from, is that we've got this material which, when it was created, it was marketed as this miracle project that was going to revolutionise all these industries, which it did, which was going to make our life easier, which it did, but it has this unintended consequence of being very, very harmful to our environment and, and staying in the environment for, for a huge amount of time. And this, and I think the problem is, is that when, you, when you're talking about it in a how do we fix it sense, whether that's kind of on the news or kind of in these documentaries, quite often we're trying to find one solution um, but that I think is going to replace one problem with another you know if we if we have a certain type of algae that eats a plastic then that could cause massive unintended consequences kind of in in kind of landfill ecosystems and all these kind of things so it's about finding different ways of living and different ways of working which we're all doing in in the coronavirus era I suppose but finding kind of what what we can live with and what we can't can't live without and modifying the way the ways of working in that sense and kind of pushing innovation through that way rather than saying right I'm going to make one whole new material that's going to replace some of these plastic because I think that'll just bring up the, the same problems that we have already. I think you're right and like there is no one plastic currently there's PT, PLA there's a bunch of different types so one of a new one of those things new kind of organic plastic isn't gonna gonna solve that being being biodegradable would be nice even though plastic currently is degradable what's the difference between something being biodegradable and degradable so those words are actually really difficult to define because there is no official definition so if for example if i take wet wipes i'm seeing or it's like greenwashing central now so greenwashing is basically where companies are environmental uh, or appear to be environmental to be able to sell their projects but actually 
they're not following those kind of those ethical environmental ways themselves and wet wipes i'm seeing all the time it says biodegradable on the front when there's a little asterisk and normally that means they're biodegradable in industrial um in industrial conditions which means they need a hell of a lot of heat and a hell of a lot of pressure to be able to break down and pretty much anything on earth is going to break down if you if you put it in a furnace so a wet wipe definitely won't survive survive but if you put it in the ocean those those conditions are very very different and it will and it will stick around so it's this as well this kind of um idea that people aren't sure what these words mean people aren't um confident in kind of what people are telling them and governments can't hold these companies to account and we can't hold these companies to account because it doesn't actually mean anything in the long run so having a a plastic this that silver bullet that's a biodegradable plastic wouldn't necessarily be the answer if it only breaks down in certain situations if it doesn't break down into its ultimate parts meaning that you know if it doesn't return to the format that it was beforehand or that adds nutrients into the environment because current plastics don't do that i mean that's the problem with current plastics that they don't biodegrade meaning that organisms can't eat the materials that they're made out of those Mm -hmm. petrochemical materials that we get plastics from because we get it from the oil that we pull out of the the ground anyway but they do degrade they do break down into through light through uv and through mechanical processes like the oceans they do degrade down and that's what your research is right that you're looking at how much they break down and then where do they end up yeah pretty much so i'll be i'm looking at how individual part particles of plastic um of microplastic specifically are moving around the ocean so once they do break up once so whether they enter the environment that small kind of in the first instance or whether they break up in the environment themselves what happens after that do they kind of congregate on certain beaches do they go down to the depth of the ocean if we you know if i release some plastic off of anglesey does it stay around anglesey does it become a local problem or does it go further out to the irish sea the, the, these are the kind of questions that i'm trying to answer but actually what's a really interesting in terms of biodegradable plastic and kind of what the answer is i think there's a really interesting case study in a really great company called vegware which i'm sure a lot of people have seen they're, they're kind of becoming very popular now um lots of cafes are kind of choosing them as their takeaway stuff of choice but they're i think they're based in scotland actually and there's they base their model they've got a circular economy based model and in quite a few places in scotland they've set up their own kind of collecting um collecting schemes and then they take them back to industrial compost but it kind of shows that it one depends so much on the company it depends so much on the council and it depends so much on the individual in terms of this biodegradable material is that okay vegetarian are doing great things in their own communities the ones where they do have that ability to kind of collect collect the products themselves but say i don't know say here in bangor or down in cardiff you're not gonna have that um you don't have that facility in terms of vegware themselves so you're then depending on the council to have an industrial composter which it doesn't lots don't um, most don't i don't think um, and then you're also depending on an individual to place to one identify that this is different to normal coffee cups or normal plastic and place it in a particular bin um, to separate that and also for the council to be providing that those separate waste streams 
Um, so you've got all of these like really complicated things. So it's not just about creating a biodegradable plastic. It's about how logistically that will work in kind of our current society as well. And weirdly, uh, we didn't know that we were from the same town when we first met. Uh, I know, it's really strange. <laughs> in, uh, in Kerfilly. And there was a report out a while back looking at which counties in Wales do industrial composting and Caerphilly County Borough was one of the only one well I think it was the only one Gwyneth was looking into it so when it's that kind of plastic it might be okay that it would break down and be back in the environment but for for current petrochemical plastics it's does it matter that they're in the environment like you know if we even if we put them in the right places they end up in rivers and they end up in the oceans afterwards does that actually matter yeah so this is a question that I get quite a lot in terms of we know plastic is bad we're told plastic is bad but why why is it actually bad and is it really that bad um and kind of the thing that i say is number one don't panic <laughs> so i think some people get quite scared about it you know we're seeing things in the news about plastic particles in the air and on our table salt and our water and that kind of thing and there is no confirmed link yet between plastic and ill human health and that's just plastic so plastic being in us you know plastic has been found in human poo but no connection with like i said with ill health but what's really interesting with that is that we don't actually have a group of people who haven't been exposed so these studies what usually happens is that you have to have a group of uh, control group so a group of people who haven't been exposed to whatever whatever chemical or whatever thing that you're talking about um, to be able to measure the difference between populations there's actually we can't be sure that there's no there's a population on earth without any kind of exposure to plastic um which is one quite scary but then also you know we're, we're all still quite healthy <laughs> so like i said don't panic too much but the the main things that kind of are we're seeing that why it's so bad is number one obviously the um impact on kind of our animal world uh you've got larger pieces of plastic acting as kind of choking hazards we've all seen kind of the awful photos we've seen blue planet that last episode which was like really heart-wrenching so you've got kind of those you also got smaller pieces of plastic then like microplastic um they have they have a really big surface area and um, plastic as a material is very very porous how big uh, is a, a regular piece of mi microplastic or how small does it need to be yeah so the definition of microplastic is actually pretty varied again it's such a new field but usually people are talking about any type of plastic that's less than five millimetres um, in width. And so that is a pretty wide range of plastics. Some researchers are calling for kind of kind of further groups to be introduced. So things like mesoplastics, microplastics, nanoplastics. The nanoplastic research field is actually super interesting at the moment and kind of super high tech, these kind of super tiny nanoparticles of plastic. But again, at the moment, we're just talking about microplastic, which is under five millimetres. These pieces of plastic are so kind of, they have such a high surface area, they're very absorbent. And so when they're in particular, whether they're kind of holding certain chemicals or whether they're in the ocean, they can absorb different things around them. And there's been studies that have shown that kind of there have been harmful chemicals that have kind of been 10 100 a thousand times more concentrated on these pieces of plastic than the kind of the water around them so then you kind of got this school of thought that if this starts getting into kind of water systems drinking water systems you then start to have a problem whether that's 
again, <laughs> it's very, um, very relevant if you've got a virus <laughs> um, that suddenly can probably survive better on plastic than in water and you maybe have a system which perhaps isn't as robust as what we have here in terms of clean water um, and you've got, a, you've got a high level of waterborne disease in some countries, you then start to get this kind of perfect storm. So that's kind of what people are trying to avoid and what people are trying to figure out if, if that could be a problem yet. But, but it's also very new, it's super interesting, but um, yeah, that's what people are trying to figure out. And you know, we, we're trying to find out whether it's good or bad for, for humans, that we need more research on that. Like I say, we've seen the pictures, we've seen the, the studies, it is bad for animals, especially ocean going animals in terms of microplastics how much is out there in the oceans and how is it affecting the wildlife there so we're not actually sure and this is kind of a bit where my phd comes in is that we can estimate the amount of plastic in general so not just my plastic or plastic that gets produced we can estimate the amount of plastic that goes from land-based sources so it gets that gets produced and gets released into the ocean we can also estimate the amount of plastic that gets from ocean sources. So for example, fishing and big cargo ships, that kind of thing. But what we're finding is that there's this missing plastic that once you start estimating then kind of the amount of microplastic, so from, from different samples and from lots of numerical models, you can start estimating the amount of microplastic and the amount of plastic in the surface water and that kind of thing. And as you start going down these steps, is that you're realizing that actually the mass of plastic is getting less and less and less and plastic doesn't just disappear so there's this missing plastic somewhere so whether that's on the very in the very depth of the ocean um, whether that's in kind of the middle of the oceans that we're not sure of yet so yeah so there's a, there's a lot of detective work to go for sure <laughs> that's not overly comforting that <laughs> the plastic that we know of is just the plastic that we know of and there's yeah there's missing plastic out there <laughs> for, for people <laughs> to see so in general we agree that we have this agreement around society that plastic is bad i do a little bit of work and a little bit of kind of chatting to people my background's in science communication so how we communicate science with the public well and efficiently and truthfully i think there is an argument to be had that like everything we've talked about it's so nuanced the it's nothing's black and white and the argument that plastic is bad again isn't black and white that plastic isn't the only kind of pollution that there's also co2 which is as we know pretty bad local pollutants the chemicals that go into making the plastics and other products as well should we be demonizing plastic as much as we currently do i think it's a really hard situation you know like i very much into plastic into plastic pollution um more so than, than most people i think people meet uh, in terms of i research it i campaign against unused plastic that that kind of situation but i also kind of appreciate that plastic is so useful like i'm looking around my room at the moment and m everything is plastic my clothes are plastic you know my bed is plastic like ev everything is and so we need to be really careful in terms of one demonize like you said demonizing plastic as a uh, material but also switching people off from the argument switching people off from the fight because if you suddenly start shout shouting look you can't use any plastic people are going to do what i just did and look around their room and go oh bloody hell like no thank you and say no that's not for me you know i don't want to do that 
so it's about kind of finding that nuance and and being very honest as well and saying look it is really hard but there are there are certain ways that you you can help and there are certain certain things that you can give up very easily um and it's all about i thought like i was saying it was kind of going for both going from the bottom up so kind of individuals making kind of serious change and kind of starting to change their kind of daily like life habits but also from the top down so kind of getting government support getting bans in place getting kind of support for different businesses to kind of help make this transition and then hopefully we'll be able to squeeze plastic plastic out in the middle and i think that's that's the idea right there's there's things people can do there's changes we can make single-use plastic is is one of the big ones because it does end up not going back into the plastic uh, cycle but it is really useful like in there's a, a review uh, of a study done in, in 2016 that showed that 88 million tons of food is wasted in the EU every year and that's about 173 kilograms per person is is wasted so when it comes to things like food security if you've got a haul food for a long way which we currently do in the EU we take it from country to country and drop it off if it's in plastic then there's, there's another study I saw that was um 1.5 grams of single-use plastic around a cucumber can extend its, its shelf life from three days to 14 days. And the amount of food that we waste globally each year, one third, if we had less of that food waste, we'd have less carbon dioxide emissions because we would have to grow less. So when it comes to demonizing plastic, it is saving us a little bit from the amount of carbon dioxide. We would be putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere if it wasn't for plastic. Yeah, totally. It's just it's just so difficult when and when you start kind of having these conversations, this is when it starts to get a bit overwhelming and people start to be like, Oh god, so what is the answer? And it's like we just need to keep talking about this, you know, we need to bring in experts from all of these different different fields and really start talking. Um, because that's the only way we're gonna figure it out. And you know, like you said like you said about food waste, if it was a country it'd be it was something like it'd be the third biggest emitter of carbon in the world, which is just mental like and so with like you said without single-use plastic that will become such such a bigger issue and we need to start talking about products in terms of their their whole life cycle rather than just a, a single part so okay now into when we when we're talking about plastic and mo- most people when they're comparing plastic with other material they're talking about their kind of end of life and they're talking about right okay so when it when it gets in the ocean if it gets in the ocean what is it going to do but then you have to start thinking about right okay how was that material made um who made it as well you kind of have to bring in kind of these socio-economic issues um otherwise it's just not sustainable if it's not sustainable for people it isn't sustainable um how is it how is it then transported how heavy is it that kind of thing so you know, there, there was something on the news about kind of paper bags and plastic bags and paper bags are actually heavier so they take more carbon and then you also got you know when pla- again if we go back to when plastic was introduced into society in terms of the wider society it was going to save the trees you know like we were, we were using so much paper deforestation still is but it was such a huge problem that plastic was going to solve that problem and then suddenly we've got this other issue so we need to start kind of thinking of it a bit more holistically um, and to kind of start taking a step back while they get getting these snap sh- snapshots of a life cycle, um, I think. I think that I think you're right that we need a holistic approach of looking at it, like 
how how does this product affect the environment? Does it affect it from a carbon standpoint? Does it mm -hmm. affect it from a pollution standpoint? You know, you have to use, I, I've got a bunch of cotton bags, those little tote bags around that I try and use as much as possible, but I'd have to use each one of them over 7,000 times <laughs> for it to have a lower impact. A, a Danish study that was out, uh, for it to have a lower impact on the environment than a, than a plastic bag. You know, and those single-use plastic bags, they can last a long time, especially the, the new ones that are a little bit thicker. So it, it's difficult to say this has less of an effect on the environment than this does, which is why I suppose we need more of that research showing us how, as humans, because not just because there's yep. so many of us, but because we are such modern creatures now, that we expect things cheaply, we expect things uh, efficiently, mm -hmm. quickly, um, and we expect things to be, to be made of good quality and, and high standards. Plastic is the perfect product for all of those things. It's light, it's cheap, it's really robust. So I don't think that we can say don't use plastic bags because we end up using other kinds of bags that have a different debt not even less of a detriment but a different detriment to the environment i still try not to use plastic bags where i can a lot of those little things that you can those little changes you can make plastic bags should definitely be one of them but i find it interesting because it's not obvious when you think about it you go oh of course we should use, stop using plastic bags but then you're like well but also yeah and you mentioned kind of the science communication part of it and i think what ties in quite inter interestingly with this issue is that trying to communicate the scientific process, so not just the science, but how the science is done and how it's researched and how it's published and that kind of thing. And it's something that I'm learning more and more about. You know, I, I only started my kind of academic career, if you want, like the end of last year. And it's just kind of about, you know, these papers that hit the news are one paper they're not they're not a scientist's whole life work on this they're usually a, a kind of very small snapshot you know there are some huge studies that have been going on for years and years and years but usually it's a very specific very small topic so someone might compare right how long does a plastic bag last in the ocean compared to a paper bag but what they won't look at then is the whole life cycle so that's going to go on that's going to be a different paper um but usually they won't they won't be advertised in the same place and they won't be communicated in the same place and it's about being aware of that process and being aware that right okay so this study said that but what did these studies say and this is kind of the whole whole process of academic life and kind of science and when you start then just publishing these kind of kind of sound bites whether that's on twitter or on the news it starts to get a bit jumbled and that's where the kind of confusion starts to come in i think and i think you're right and i think there's so much confusion around the plastic problem like what we should and shouldn't be doing you know the fact that there are a few countries, uh, like a handful of countries in the world, the majority of plastic waste that ends up in the oceans comes from 1.5 million tons per year come up the Yangtze River in China, for example. But what I often talk about with people, when especially with carbon, is that we've had our industrial revolution. We are now reaping the rewards. Wales is a great example of uh, we've dug up the entire country for fossil fuels, mm -hmm. mostly the south, but the entire country for fossil fuels, and we're now reaping the reward of that X amount of hundred years on. So when yeah. it comes to uh, other countries who are now reaping the rewards of the plastic revolution, we can't be quick to judge because we're all you know we want our cheap cheap phones, and if we're gonna gonna make them, they have to come from 
a lot of plastic and they're gonna have to come from we're happy to buy them from countries like China where we where we get that so we're all in it together that demonizing of plastic and demonizing of others that blame game doesn't necessarily help but the plastics are out there so when it comes yeah. to, to cleaning that up we're gonna have to address it at some point I mean making new plastics is gonna be great but we have to address actually cleaning it up when it comes to refuse reduce reuse recycle that infrastructure in the in especially in uh, newly developed countries how should we be mm-hmm. thinking about cleaning all this up and how how does that look differently for for different countries yeah again i think it's this question of it's not black and white there's not one size fits all for each country what really opened my eyes like lucky i was lucky enough last year to go to the maldives on holiday um and it was an island and it was where it was obviously maldives are super low lying they're kind of super in danger of flooding and that kind of thing and sea level rise but one thing also they don't have is a kind of a super structured waste system especially kind of on these um, kind of individual islands and I was walking around and there was this smell it was a strong smell and I didn't know what it was and I kind of basically came to this makeshift landfill site that the island was using and it was mostly plastic being burnt and you looked at it and it was and it was quite shocking it was very high it's probably about three stories high um, but you have to think like what else can you do like if you were in the situation of the people who lived on the island what would you do you know you you get your fresh water shipped in in plastic bottles fair enough then that plastic bottle company did take them away to refill but then everything else you know there were there were red bull cans and there were coca-cola bottles and all of these things that were clearly made for western society and for western systems and then they were being shipped to these countries which don't have the infrastructure to deal with them um, and also have extremely different priorities like you said then they're, they're newly developed countries these people are dealing dealing with issues that kind of are, that go far beyond anything that we can imagine in this country and so can you really blame them for burning plastic <laughs> well and just to, to give you uh, the other side of the coin on that currently during the COVID-19 uh, global pandemic that we've got going on right now as we speak Cardiff County Council, which is the, the the capital city of Wales, is currently burning the plastic because they don't have the capacity to yeah. to deal with that. So, and some plastic needs to be burnt when it comes from hospitals and, and things like that as well. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely has to. But you mentioned Coca Cola bottles, uh, which is I feel like it's the flagship for for the plastic recycling revolution. It's the thing that people think about when thinking about we should recycle things PET bottles they are uh, yeah. 108 billion bottles they, they generate each year more than one fifth of the world's PET bottles those uh, drinks bottles come from Coca-Cola which is unbelievable um, they've got a revenue of 35 billion dollars it makes it the 84th large economy largest economy in the world just after just ahead sorry of Costa Rica uh, which is nuts so been fascinated for, for ages with the idea of, of reparations for plastic people who have built their wealth on creating these bottles, but it could be absolutely anything, selling it to the wider world and then making money from it. Should they be held account for making their wealth from polluting the environment, really? Uh, Should companies have a duty to make sure that when they put something out into the world, it either comes back around into the cycle 
and they take it back in to, to use it? Or should they be paying X amount per year to governments for the cleanup efforts? I think it's a really interesting idea. I don't know what the answer is. I, I would love to see that, especially when you know Coca-Cola uh, has an estimated worth of $74 billion. I feel like they should be they could be paying X amount per year uh, in terms of global cleanup. Yeah, totally. And in terms of Coca-Cola just blows my mind in general in terms of they are do they are doing some things, <laughs> but I wouldn't say they're doing enough considering the size of their wealth and also the kind of historic um, impact they've had on the environment and also kind of general um, general like I said socioeconomic socioeconomic issues and kind of human welfare issues that their history in that sense is is murky at best and so I think they really need to pull their finger out but no these kind of these kind of huge companies are so because they have so much money so hard to control um, in terms of plastic and in terms of kind of like I said other other issues as well and I went to a really interesting talk by an awesome lady called Professor McGlade, um, who is a academic, and there was a really interesting question at the end of her talk, and she and she was asked if you had a billion pounds, which in terms of global wealth is not actually that much, um, in terms of plastic, what would you do? The talk was about oceans and plastic and general ocean health, and she said she would build. Um, kind of build waste integrated waste systems on the banks of rivers that have the highest plastic emissions and kind of help the communities there kind of understand and kind of sort out this kind of circular economy kind of within the community which I just think is a genius idea um, but there's no stopping Coca-Cola doing that you know taking one for the team <laughs> Like these things aren't hugely expensive when you when you consider their wealth kind of relatively and I also think that maybe if we start changing the way we talk and changing the way we talk about plastic you know we talk about the amount of plastic released into oceans and that kind of thing but one one key difference that I've noticed recently between plastic and other pollutants whether that's you know nitrogen dioxide carbon dioxide anything is that we don't use the word emissions with plastic. We're not we're not talking about a country's emissions of plastic or a company's plastic emissions. Whereas we are with obviously carbon dioxide is very hard to control as well in terms of we're not doing that well on that side. But I think if we start talking about it more like a pollutant, um, which obviously it is, but more like ones that we know and we we've kind of started to get a bit more control on we might start to see a difference. We might start to see kind of a difference in attitude from from countries and kind of these huge companies as well. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, there's all that talk of, especially carbon and having the car having a carbon tax that's been going on for so long. Like, do we mm -hmm. have, do we impose carbon taxes on people that uh, fly a lot? Do we impose carbon taxes on companies that put a lot of carbon in the atmosphere? Plastic taxes, you know, just could be one of those things that people put on every year. Especially when, you know, Nestle, Unilever and Mars, they made 8 million tons of plastic packaging in the last year. Is there, is there a cost for that? Is it cost to the environment for that? Mm -hmm. Is there a cost to them for that? The cost to the economy? Cost yeah. to the government to clean stuff up? Is it cost on, on us and the, the wildlife? Should there be a cost for them? 
but those numbers are so new, right? They're like the fact that we know that that's such a new phenomenon. Yeah, it's reported by uh, New Plastics Company. Yeah, um, and we ha- in in the past we haven't known how much plastic is being produced. You know, these companies probably have had it in their reports in terms of being able in terms of kind of knowing how much it costs, say. But we haven't known how much plastic is released, and kind of so we're now playing catch up, and governments especially are playing catch up with how much plastic is really in our systems. You know, I've I've been talking to people from the Welsh government and that kind of thing. We don't know how much microplastic is in our waters. We don't know how much microplastic is kind of in the seabed around Wales. Um, and it's kind of it's that new. So when people are kind of demanding these instant kind of again these instant silver bullets it's not going to happen because essentially we don't know the baseline yet we don't know where we're starting from we well we don't know where we started from and we don't know where we are so there's no way yet that we can reliably talk about where where we want to be especially kind of on a country scale i think yeah and i wish there was a silver bullet mm-hmm. i wish that, that there too. was something that we that we could do and i think everyone feels inside some kind of angst to do something and do something quickly we see you know how how much it hurts the environment and how much it could potentially hurt people uh you know as well again we still don't know that research is is still ongoing so what is it that we can as society do what is it that scientists can do about the plastic that's out there is there any new research going on on how we a clean up the waste and b get rid of that waste is there a way that we can degrade bio or otherwise the plastic that's out there that's being put out by these companies so this is not really my area of research in particular um it's always it always a scientist caveat side of plastic by the way <laughs> yeah. um but there is so much going on um whether again so whether that's finding out where it is um, by using physics and maths and numerical models and all that kind of thing or whether it's kind of seeing right how quickly does it break down like again something that people forget is that since plastic has been introduced what's that's like what, 60 60 years ish that is less time than most plastic is going to be on the earth so kind of we're trying to accelerate these these estimations in terms of how long it takes to break down and and that kind of thing so we're talking about scales long longer than we've even been introduced to plastic but there's lots and lots of really exciting stuff going on that i'm reading about all the time um and whether that's kind of different types of algae um kind of different mushrooms that kind of eat through plastic and again these these are things that that are on different scales so some things are on like a landfill scale some things are on kind of a lab scale um nothing yet has has kind of figured it out obviously otherwise we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast um, but no there, there are lots of lots of things going on and also lots of not just by scientists but by campaigners as well in terms of stopping the plastic tap like kind of a plastic planet says that you have to turn off the tap if your bath is overflowing you don't grab the mop you turn the tap off first and so it's kind of that sense in kind of slow slowing down this flow into the ocean but also kind of businesses have a big part to play not only in kind of again reducing the flow but also kind of driving innovation and and that kind of thing and they can really help in that sense i saw a great a couple of great videos on if 
worms, especially I think it was male worms, uh, can eat, eat plastics. And like you say, algae was out there as well. There's one study looking at bacteria and if certain types of bacteria could break down. But then I, I got to thinking, what if that bacteria got into the environment? Yeah. In the man-made environment, not in out in the natural world, but got into mm-hmm. the man-made environment and started eating the plastics that that we currently currently use. You imagine your car breaking down around you yeah. uh, as, as you're driving along. And it's this idea that you kind of have these unintended consequences and yeah. it's again the the knowledge of of the scientific process is that okay these ideas are out there but they do have to be tested rigorously otherwise it could go wrong you know you you all you have to look at is is issues like kind of different invasive species and and that kind of thing um and you you start to see kind of historical examples of of things going wrong that were originally intended to solve solve a particular problem which then became a bigger problem in themselves and you see that you know it's not just scientists that are that are helping with the situation Mm -hmm. activists and the general public you know what was it 20 say 20 years ago recycling really wasn't on many people's radars when i first got into science communication there was i was put on a panel for the british council looking at recycling and it was kind of brand new and people I was talking to people from Spain because a bunch of European countries got together and people from Spain it really wasn't they didn't really talk about recycling at all obviously we look to those countries and go we probably shouldn't do that but there are the countries we can look to and go well perhaps we could do that yeah definitely and there's kind of this idea that so much has changed so quickly is and people don't really know where they are yet with it and when we're still kind of figuring it out but yeah there are so many there are so many countries that are doing it well you know there are countries that have completely banned plastic bags um, we obviously talked about the nuance of plastic bags before and then there are some countries like some of the Nordic countries which have um, kind of bottled deposit return schemes which have been very successful um, other countries have completely bla- banned single-use plastic or kind of starting to ban single-use plastic but yeah we're, we're, we are getting there and we're kind of starting to wake up to it but like you said this communication issue I think is is really interesting because people are so engaged with it which is really cool and 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 interesting as a as not only not only as someone who's kind of in the fight against thing use plastic it's awesome but in terms of a bit of a science communication nerd as well in terms of what engages people and and how how do they kind of get involved in these issues plastic is just completely written the book on how, how to get people involved i get comments sometimes in terms of being like well you know there's climate change going on and you know ocean acidification why are you why are you researching plastic you know there are so many other issues and i and i try and say to them you know there's a lot that different fields can learn from each other and one thing that people can learn from the the field of single-use plastic campaigning and plastic research is that how it engages people and why it does and I think that's because one it's so visual two it touches everybody's life like they people can really really feel the impact that they're having whether whether that's true or not you know like if you talk about some if you talk about plastic straw people are like right if I have one a day then that's 365 straws that I can save from going in the ocean a year and that that is a really simple calculation for people to make rather than kind of these more abstract issues which are much harder to um, engage with people with. Yeah, and you're right. And that's a great example of, of that here in, in Wales was the carrier bag charge that we put in in 2010, 2011. I think it was, we were one of the first nations, I think, in the world 
to do that in terms of trying to not say that you can't have carrier bags because it wasn't just it's not just plastic bags it's any kind of single use carrier bag people ask mm-hmm. me, people seem think it's sometimes strange that for paper bags especially the ones you find at big fast food restaurants with double arches on them uh, that you still have to pay for for that but it's a still a single use <laughs> bag whatever whatever um, it's made out of mm-hmm. I've seen a bunch of statistics around has that helped and sometimes you get quantitative data that you say this is the percentage is dropped by mm-hmm. um, between 2011 and 2014 they said it, uh, the Welsh government said it, it declined by 71 percent but there's also the quantitative data there's the anecdotal data that you know I see a lot less people with those single-use plastic bags and the UK government uh, said that in for England it's down by 90 percent those carrier bags which isn't that's for those really thin um, mm-hmm. single-use plastic bags, not the, the the bags for life. So they've skewed the data slightly there. Do you think that it's, it's helped, like these things like plastic bag charges, do you think that they help? Totally. I think it's quite easy. Again, when we're talking about the scale of the problem and feeling overwhelmed, it's quite easy to be sceptical and it's quite easy to be negative and say, well, that's just not going to make a difference because this percentage of plastic is actually not bags, it's this or whatever. But I think, it, I think it makes a huge difference. And again, it's talking about the baseline. So where have people started from? And that is zero. Like people had zero awareness of plastic and single use plastic as an issue five years ago if that you know like no no one was really talking about it in the kind of wider wider society you know there was there was still quite a lot of research going on um kind of plastic research started in about the 80s and then there was like a big microplastic boom where we kind of found out about microplastics early on in the noughties in about 2001 but it wasn't until kind of the big blue planet effect and kind of all these kind of public campaigns really came came into focus is that we started seeing a huge difference and kind of the plastic bag charge was one of the first things in, in that sense. And Wales are looking to, to go even further with that now looking at possibly banning single-use plastics altogether yeah. next year. Although you know, I did a bunch of looking into it. There's a lot of people saying that they, they might do it I've yet seen any. I haven't seen any legislation yet, and they say some some countries, some counties are banning single-use plastic. What is it that, if Wales does become uh, a country that bans single-use plastic, what is that single-use plastic that they intend on banning? Yeah. So that. So at the moment, that's up for debate. Um, in terms of there's been no publication of what that paper will say um, and that will then in terms of the way the government works that will go to public consultation probably and then it will have to be passed and agreed by the ministers um, and then put into law so there's quite a long way to go yet but that will probably include things like plastic straws, plastic cutlery, um, cotton buds which have the kind of plastic middle in them um, all those kind of things I think there probably will, and rightly so, there will be a kind of a caveat in there to talk about how um, some people need single-use plastic uh, for medical reasons and 
for, for different reasons as well so like drink with dignity if they have if they have particular issues with that and I think that's really important and again it's this this is not a black and white issue single-use plastic is a great invention um, and is really needed by some people whether that's kind of in hospitals or kind of in the community itself and so a blanket ban wouldn't work because it would it would kind of exclude a whole group of people. And you know, sustainability is not going to work unless it's completely inclusive. So we'd start we need to really push on that as well. Um, but no, a, a, a kind of general ban with kind of with certain caveats will definitely be welcome in Wales. I think. And that kind of bring, brings us right back round to the idea that you have to include everyone. It has to be in a way cyclical. So you can't just say that we're going to get rid of all, mm-hmm. all these plastics because some people, like you say, do need them. But if we do use them, how can we bring it all the way back around and back into the, the same system that we started off using it with? So the idea of sustainable consumerism and, you know, that you can buy that, for want of a better thing, plastic bottle, but it has to go back into this system and in this direction and it has to go there. There's a, a phone that's just come out. I can't remember the name of it, but the idea is that yeah. there's modules that you can take out and then you can send to different places. I think that if we have, if we do go ahead with using plastic for for the long run, which it's a great material, it'd be a shame if we didn't. The the we have to come up with the answer of how do we create a plastic cycle that it means we don't get missing plastic at the end of it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? yeah so it has to be a, a circular economy and 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 that's a completely different way of working to what we are now that's a completely different setup you know every single business in the country is currently working on a linear linear time both time frame and kind of general kind of uh, general frame as well you know um so it would be a huge change but i think we're starting to see the start of that and and kind of small independent businesses are really pushing um, in that way and kind of really leading. And I think in a in a world full of arguments about the high street dying and kind of these big chains, this is somewhere where small independent businesses can can really lead and can really thrive. You know, like all the businesses that I know on a high street that is that are doing the best are refill shops and our kind of ethical clothes companies and all of these kind of things. Um, so I think that's definitely de- definitely a, a, a big gap there. Yeah, I think we have, in terms of public opinion, turned the tide on plastic, as they say, and we started to, to make good strides into finding alternatives, finding ways to, to clean it up. Um, I think the next big step is going to be making sure that you know we're work, working from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. I think we've got the bottom now how do we work on that top down uh getting the big industry politics and everyone else on board with that and i really don't have an answer no and it's about kind of again this building a resilient society and whether that whether we look at that through the lens of what we're doing now with coronavirus like how how are we responding to these big events you know like how how is the ocean going to cope with kind of huge climate change and and kind of um sea level rise and that kind of thing and are are we putting ourselves in the best situation to deal with different different events and i think the answer at the moment is no um but we're starting to see more conversations around that and we're starting to see right 
you know, how do we put the environment and also people first, um, rather than kind of more of kind of a business and economy centric kind of way of looking at things. Yeah, I I really feel that COVID-19 is a is a trial run crisis for those to come. Uh, The plastic crisis and the climate crisis are just two of the ones we have to look forward to. Yes. Nia Jones is doing a PhD in physical oceanography and the dispersal of microplastics at the School of Ocean Sciences at Bank University. Nia, thank you so much. See you soon. Thanks for having me. We're trying to put these interpods out as and when we can. The plan was definitely to have a good five or six in the bag before we even started releasing them. But of course, that all went out of the window when the coronavirus came about. But we really want these to be a a holistic view of the entire problem that we face here in Wales, but the whole world faces. You know, things like traffic, plastic, climate change, poverty, homelessness, and all the rest. So if you've got anything that you think we should be talking about, then make sure you head to our website at interipod.com and let us know what you think.